Here we go on the second episode of our podcast Grapes. My name is Tobias Salvai. And I'm Phil Cook. And uh, we would like to start this episode uh, thanking all of those that listened to uh, our previous episode about Cabernet Sauvignon. The feedback was really great, Phil. And um, I really hope uh, our friends will, uh, will enjoy this, uh, this second episode as well. Let's hope so. And before we start, I've just got to ask you an important question that we messed up last week. Do you have a glass of wine in front of you this week? You got me prepared, Phil. I'm actually, <laughs> I'm actually drinking a very nice glass of Chardonnay, which funnily enough is uh, the topic of this episode. We're going to talk about a fantastic title called Chardonnay. And uh, uh, as we did on the last episode, uh, we are going to discuss a bit of the history first. Yes. Uh, so uh, reading a bit about it uh, and studying, uh, um, I found out, Phil, that uh, Chardonnay is a glade that has been planted in Chablis in France, in the area of Burgundy, uh, around the 12th century uh, by some monks in, a, in an abbey. Uh, so we're talking of something that is uh, long established in Europe. However, uh, legend says that uh, this grape has been brought by uh, Templars in France uh, and is originally from the Middle East, uh, from the area of Jerusalem. Uh, in fact, there is an, uh, an expression in Hebrew, uh, pardon, my accent won't be perfect, <laughs> but it says <laughs> Sahar Adonai, which translated from Hebrew means the door of God. Right. So there is somewhat uh, a certain kind of mysticism around this grape and around right. this, uh, this, uh, this name. Uh, however, uh, truth is uh, that uh, the, the grape is named after a town uh, in the southern part of Burgundy, in a region called Macon, uh, which is called, this town is called Chardonnay. Uh, it's, a, it's a really interesting topic. I'm really, really, really excited to talk about it because uh, uh, there's really a lot to say. Uh, Chardonnay became uh, such a big brand over the years yeah. uh, and it's a really controversial grape there's somewhat a love and hate towards it um, until the 20th century many people didn't even knew that this was a grape they thought it was just the name of a wine right. uh, a, f- a fantasy name of a wine uh, it's, a, it's a great variety that has been governed by, by fashion throughout the years uh, we've seen uh, um, the 60s in the 70s and then in the 80s and 90s considerable changes of styles uh, to meet the market and uh, and the taste um, it had a, a peak uh, of popularity in the mid 80s uh, and this peak of popularity towards the end of the 80s led to a shortage of chardonnay in australia towards the, the beginning of the 90s uh, I think the adaptability of the grape is something that uh, uh, you can then explain a bit better talking about the different areas of production. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, so it, it is one of the, the most, well, it is the most widely grown white grape in the world, you, you may know. Um, and it's very versatile for a number of reasons and very complex. Um, so we'll look at some of the most important, um, it does grow everywhere, but we'll look at some of the most important areas of production across the world, starting rightfully, as you say, uh, in Burgundy in France. 
um, where you find some of the, the most renowned vineyards uh, the world over. Uh, so beginning in Chablis, uh, it's a cool climate vineyard in the north of Burgundy. Move down uh, to the more moderate weather in the Côte d'Or, uh, get some really top-end Chardonnay there, some really high prices commanded for it. And then you go further down south into to the Maconnais. Uh, and of course, um, we'll get to Champagne in a different on our episode, but we can't not mention the importance of the grape, which is grown just north of Burgundy, um, for that obviously world famous sparkling wine. Um, Chardonnay Absolutely. also, yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, Chardonnay very much also thrives in much warmer climates too, hence its versatility. Uh, where there's areas like uh, California's Napa Valley, which is considered an area of uh, very high importance and high quality production. The more inland areas of Santa Barbara County and in the uh, sort of coastal areas of uh, Sonoma, where the, the ocean breezes really cool down the vines and lock in those fresh fruit flavours. Uh, personal favourite of mine, uh, I love a, an Australian Chardonnay, particularly a big bold one. Um, so another major player in production of this ancient fruit. With uh, some years with high volumes uh, being produced for branded wineries, a lot in the southeast of the country. Sometimes it can be blended with Semillon. Um, in the west you have the, the Margaret River, uh, which is very much uh, smaller yields of production, uh, with a more focus on quality and consistency rather than volumes of grape. Um, other areas of note in Australia also include the, the Adelaide Hills in the south, and again, uh, there's those cool ocean breezes in the south, which really helps lock in those flavours uh, and cool the grapes down after quite a, a warm day. Uh, south America uh, is becoming an ever more prominent producer of the grape, in particular Chile's Casablanca Valley. Uh, you will see these more and more on your supermarket shelves, quite uh, good value for money prices. Um, and also Argentina, which now boasts around 60 wineries producing Chardonnay. Oh, wow. uh, and lastly, South Africa's Walker Bay uh, produces some of the better quality fruit you'll find in South Africa. Um, again, it's the maritime influence down there, the, the cooling uh, ocean breezes, uh, and a little bit more inland, which is a little bit warmer and more prolific growth uh, in the Western Cape, again, often for branded wineries. Uh, so yeah, it's sort of the most important areas uh, of production we see at the moment in the world. Well, yes, well, we can definitely uh, notice from what you said that it's, it's a grape that has been planted all over. And I think yeah. this is thanks mostly by uh, the adaptability to the different soils, even though we prefer somewhat a clay kind of soil, uh, but also climate. Uh, yeah. it, it, it can deliver some cold weathers, some cooler weathers, some warm weathers. So it's something quite, um, quite versatile. And uh, um, talking a bit about the plant, we can say that um, the, the, the berries itself are um, round, quite small, yes. and uh, they got this kind of yellow golden color. The, if you see uh, Chardonnay on a vine, you can definitely tell it's Chardonnay by the look for, for the characteristics of, uh, of uh, the, the berries. Sure. Um, as I said already, he, the versatility of different styles and uh, you know the fact that he uh, adapts to different climates uh, it's uh, it's a great pro uh, however the grape itself goes to some some you know, cons um, for example it buds very early as a plant yes. 
so uh, it's quite delicate also because uh, the skin of the fruit is not uh, really thick as we discussed maybe on the last episode with uh, with Cabernet Sauvignon for example uh, so the fact that it buds early and it's quite a delicate plant uh, makes it quite prone to spring frosts and rot in wet and damp conditions uh, so you know the end of summer when when it starts raining a bit more if uh, if the grapes are not picked in time um, you might risk to lose a lot of uh, uh, you know of the yield so of the quantities that then you're gonna use to make wine yeah. uh, same thing if you have a spring frost uh, right at the beginning of uh, uh, the season uh, you might lose a lot of uh, fruits again um, to make uh, wine this is a challenge that uh, um, a lot of burgundy wineries are facing in the last years yeah. uh, the spring frost yeah. um, the picking time, so when uh, the winemakers decide to pick the grapes from the plant, is really critical and it's really important to determine the style. Whether if you want to pick it quite early, you preserve a bit more of the acidity uh, in the fruit, so you will have a crisper and elegant wine. If you leave it a bit longer, the alcohol, so the sugar uh, in the fruit, will be much, much uh, higher, uh, and so on, the style of the wine as well. Nice. Um, I'm savoring it right now, and uh, uh, well, I have to be honest with you, a very cheap one, <laughs> nothing fancy. Uh, <laughs> so, meanwhile, I'm savoring this glass fill. Can you please describe me the flavor of a really nice Chardonnay, please? And I'll try to picture it in my head. Yes, uh, I'm just going to go through a quick snapshot because we could be here all day. I keep mentioning the, the word versatility, and um, it is a very neat grape in that it is often it can be very determined by what the winemaker wants to do with it. Um, but we'll start with the primary sort of aspects of the grapefruit, the primary flavours. So, cool climate areas, like we mentioned in Chablis before, um, these will display quite high acidity. I like to medium body wine, uh, as the grapes are less ripe than warmer climates. You'll see flavours of green fruits like apples and pears, citrus, whetstones. Um, and then you move down sort of uh, to the more moderate climates, like we mentioned to Cote d'Or before. Uh, which will also make riper grapes as a warmer climate, thus producing wines with a more medium to high acidity, not quite as acidic, and a medium and slightly fuller body with flavours of lemon, citrus, stone fruits, fruits like peach and apricots, and then a little bit of tropical note starts to creep in there, things like melon. Uh, and then you go to like a warmer climate, such as the Napa Valley, for example, um, and you can expect a much fuller style of wine. So you can really see the differences the climate makes here. Um, fuller, not as acidic, more medium. Uh, and then again, those primary, those tropical flavours uh, like pineapple, banana, uh, really start to come through alongside those stone fruits again. So very, very different depending on where you are. Um, and then you've got your base wine there, the primary flavours. The secondary stage is really down to what style the winemaker wants to produce. And they've got a, a number of different ways that they can add to that. Um, okay. So they can keep it as it is. They may choose the most sort of obvious one is uh, to use oak in the fermentation and or the aging process. Now this could impart flavours that you'd expect from oak aging, like vanilla, cedar, smoke, coconut to name but a few. And that will also add body and complexity to the wine. Um, you'd expect to find this practice, like say, in Napa, um, a little bit in the Côte d'Or um, and in warmer parts of Australia. 
Um, another practice you might want to you could conduct is a malolactic fermentation, which basically takes those highly acidic wines and it really rounds off that acidity, makes it more creamy and buttery. So you've had those really buttery Chardonnays, it's probably went through a malolactic fermentation and that's what rounds off that acidity, as I say. And lastly, uh, you may have heard of a term called lees aging, which is basically where the dead yeasts and things that are left in during the fermentation process, a practice known as batonage. Um, and that really brings out those toasty brioche notes that you could expect to find. And that's the sort of style of Chardonnay I really like. So like you see, there are many different options um, for the winemakers. Now, are you hungry? I'm going to give you some food pairings, if that's okay. Uh, yes, I am, and I'm also getting a bit tipsy, so I need some food. <laughs> <laughs> okay, drink slowly, drink slowly. We're nearly there. Um, so, yeah, so food pairings, uh, I mean, the classic one that would be the right place to start is uh, Chablis and oysters, or indeed Champagne and oysters. Um, it's a favourite of mine. The high acidity and those really crisp fruit flavours really cut through those creamy shellfish. And a touch of minerality just enhances the flavors that you get from the oyster, the similar flavors. So really works well together and that's why it's a classic. Um, these wines, they go great with creamy cheeses like Brie de Meaux or Finn um, and just a, a real match made in heaven. So the more sort of lightly oaked Chardonnay, they can handle a little bit more richness. So things like fish pie or mushroom risotto or even a mildly spiced curry, like a, a buttered chicken or a dansack. And then you've got those much bolder, oakier styles, uh, which can go with more robust foods, like a nice piece of roasted turbot or a grilled pork chop, where those sort of buttery flavors really accentuate those roasted goodness of the of the foods. Um, and yeah, that's just a, a nice snapshot there. Um, so, have you got any recommendations for us this week? Yeah, but before the recommendations, uh, I actually have a fun fact uh, okay. about uh, about uh, Chardonnay. So have you ever heard of uh, uh, this, let's call it a club, called ABC, anything, anything but, but Chardonnay. Chardonnay, exactly. <laughs> so apparently um, there is this group of uh, uh, wine lovers uh, that uh, um, they grew tired of uh, drinking overly oak chardonnay uh, yeah. and uh, and anywhere they go uh, either in supermarkets or in wine bars they they probably say anything but chardonnay uh, to the bartenders yeah. so um i've been reading a bit about it because uh, uh, i strongly disagree with that <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll, I'll try to explain what i found out and my my stance on it so um, for what I gathered, um, as Chardonnay is quite uh, of uh, a complex wine to make, you know, mostly in the Burgundy style when you have to use an oak barrel to age it, do the malolactic fermentation, as you were saying earlier on. Um, in the 70s, uh, a lot of winemakers from uh, um, California, Australia and South Africa were trying to mass produce uh, a low value for money version of uh, the very expensive and fine burgundies right. so instead of for example using uh, um, oak aging 
uh, they were adding uh, wooden chips inside the, the vessels, no? Yeah. Uh, so trying to speed up and make uh, um, a real uh, uh, industrial sort of uh, way to make something uh, uh, really fine and complex. And there is... Exactly. And uh, they were all, uh, like, let's say, quick and uh, easy methods to make mass-produced wines with really yeah. poor quality, but with, uh, with a very you know, competitive price. Yeah. Um, a lot of people didn't knew that. And so when right. they approached Chardonnay for the very first time, they've, uh, they had some of these uh, uh, low value kind of Chardonnay. And of course, as it tasted disgusting, they've, uh, they just moved away from it. Right. But I can guarantee you, and I can guarantee you all of the ABC lovers uh, or the club members that uh, uh, Chardonnay is indeed uh, uh, one of the finest wine grapes, uh, uh, white grapes you can find out there. Definitely. And uh, I highly recommend you to, to, to give it another shot. Yes, I agree. The, the, the very fine Chardonnays and that we can move towards the wine recommendations can be quite expensive. Yeah. But it's worth a shot because it will completely change your opinion about it. For okay. those that know and love Chardonnay already, uh, what I just said, uh, just you know, it's it's irrelevant. Uh, wine recommendations. So speaking about uh, um, expensive wines, Phil, what are your uh, recommendations? Um, so for the expensive one, the special one, I went for uh, Kistler Chardonnay, which is from Sonoma County in California. Um, it's a minimum intervention wine, so it's natural yeasts, it's pretty much as natural production as you can get. Um, and the reason, it's not actually my normal style of Chardonnay, uh, but when I tasted it, I really appreciated the, you could really get the nuanced flavours of the fruits there, and had a really nice strong mineral background. Now I talked about oysters earlier, this would be perfect with oysters. And that, that's, uh, it's only available in some specialist wine retailers. It's really kept for high-end restaurants, but you can get it. It's around £100 a bottle. Okay. Um, the medium middle-of-the-road choice, um, I've chose the Santalan Gladsdale Chardonnay, um, which is actually the winemakers were the first winemakers I ever met uh, when I worked for Odbins. Adrian and Rebecca uh, came into the shop. And um, it's always good to get a, an idea of what the producer is actually trying to do from them, because you really buy into the process. Again, it's a minimum intervention wine, a small batch production made in the Yarra Valley. And it's a really great blend of top quality fruit and oak, a really skillful balance that they achieve. Um, that goes for around £24, so a little bit more price than your everyday wine. But, you know, you mentioned trying to change this perception of Chardonnay. That's a great place to start because it's got that balance of the oak and the fruit. Um, and to the more everyday wine, I went for Robert Oatley Chardonnay, which is another Australian Chardonnay. Um, it's rich and toasty from Pemberton in Western Australia, where it's got those cool breezes again from the Indian Ocean and the, the Antarctic breezes, keeping in the purity of the fruit. Uh, that goes for around $12.99 from places like Majestic and Waitrose. Uh, so yeah, they're my three choices. How about you? Right, to, to show that Chardonnay could be uh, crazy, I just uh, selected the, one of the most expensive bottles of wine I ever tasted in my life. I want to make clear I haven't purchased this bottle, uh, just in case you know my wife is listening. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the Domaine Ramonet uh, Pouilly Montrachet, 
Uh, I had the luck of trying uh, a 2008 vintage, was outstanding, incredibly complex, uh, already on tertiary aromas, uh, dried fruits, uh, very mineral, uh, you know, the oaky vanilla was there, it was absolutely outstanding. It sells for the price of 350 pounds, a really great Burgundy. Well, Christmas is coming up, man. If you want to buy me a present, you know. Yeah, of course, of course. I will. <laughs> uh, I will think of that. Uh, for the medially priced wine, I went to Italy, and I've chosen uh, a wine called Cervaro della Sala from a winery okay. called Antinori. So okay. this is a really Burgundian-style Chardonnay. Uh, right. It's made in Umbria, in the, in the center of Italy, and uh, it's been voted uh, uh, for a few years in a row actually as the best white wine from Italy, right. and it sells for around 45 pounds. Okay. And then from the low value, so for the everyday, I went for something uh, completely different uh, to the other two that I had. I went for an Anouk Chardonnay, something quite yeah. easily made, quite easy drinking. It's called Yarabruk and it's uh, uh, from South Australia. And this should go between 850 and 10 pounds, the bottle. Uh, an everyday sort of, uh, sort of Chardonnay, which is the one that I'm probably sipping right now. <laughs> Um, that was it for this episode, Phil. Thank okay. you, thank you very much. Thank you very much for this. Pleasure. We're gonna be online again next week. Uh, please, to anyone that listen to this, let us know your thoughts. Let us know your feedbacks. It's really important to us. And if you have any sort of recommendations, let us know. Uh, you will also find the name of the wines in the description of the episode. Thank you again, Phil. Thank you very much. Cheers. <laughs>